disruption zone. Opportunity lives where the status quo dies. Talking to the greatest innovators, disruptors, and off-the-wall inventors, we can scrounge up. You laugh, you'll learn, you'll be inspired. Now, here are your hosts, Leland Conway and Cameron Mills. All right, before we uh, set the table with our big guest today, I got a little soapbox I want to get on. Dr. Fauci. My sister uh, came up with a funny nickname for him, Dr. Falsely, because <laughs> he can't decide one way or another. So, okay, so uh, this weekend on State of the Union on CNN, Dr. Fauci said that we could soon be changing distancing guidelines to three feet from six feet. On the same day, there was a headline that said, Dr. Fauci warns against relaxing any social, di- or, uh, any, uh, uh, yeah, any social distancing standards. So on the same day, he's saying two different things entirely. Uh, he said last week, or uh, Joe Biden said last week that if we're all good and we obey the great and and powerful Dr. Fauci, that we'll maybe be able to have a few of our closest friends and family over for a small barbecue in our backyard by Fourth of July. And anyone who doesn't understand that it's not the, that the government doesn't give us our freedom doesn't understand Independence Day in the first place. We don't have to ask Uncle Joe if we can have a barbecue on the Fourth of July. But now Fauci is saying, oh, no, we could probably have some pretty big groups by 4th of July. Here's what's happening. I'm just going to tell you the truth about this. The three feet thing is hilarious to me because I can't remember the last time I stole. I, I willingly stood closer than three feet to somebody I didn't know. Can you? I cannot remember the last time that I willingly, if I wasn't stuck in a place where I was shoulder to shoulder with people, which frankly isn't going to happen for I don't know when. I can't remember the next, the last time I sat or stood less than three feet away from somebody who I didn't know. That's inside my, I might punch you in the face bubble, okay? So what that is, is no social distancing at all, right? So basically we go to six to three, and they're saying, he's Dr. Fauci is saying the CDC is looking at data that tells us we could probably do three instead of six. Then that means the entire shutdown was absolutely unnecessary. That's what that means. There's no two ways about it. If we can stand three feet apart, then we don't need to do any social distancing at all. Maybe we shut down the clubs where everybody's like grinding on each other for a little while. Right? Maybe that. But even then, your choice. That's what you want to do. And then you get sick. Okay. But three feet means no social distancing. That's what three feet means. If the virus, I, I, I posted on this on social media and I was cracking up. I was like, wait a minute. What happened to the virus? Is it not so chummy anymore? It no longer has, it's not so chummy. It's going to step even farther. We're, we're good. I don't, I, oh God, it's so, these people that are supposedly the experts, if you ever wanted to see that this whole thing was a fraud, not the pandemic, the, the, the virus exists and it's very dangerous for certain constituencies of people, meaning very, very old people, very, very sick people, or people who have some specific pre-existing conditions. Yes, it's dangerous for them. We should keep them at home. We should quarantine the sick. Iceland has 350,000 people. It's hard to really compare them to other big countries, but they had a total of 6,000 cases, only 29 deaths. They never shut down. Why? People cooperated. There was a story on NBC News, and they were like, look at how Iceland, everybody's obeying the rules. That's why they didn't have... No, Iceland trusted their people with the truth. And so people were like, oh, okay, we'll put on a mask. No biggie. They never had to shut down the entire country. And they're fine, right? 
We never had to shut down. the Florida's proven this right now. Texas has proven this right now. We never had to shut down the entire country. We never had to six-foot social distance. The whole thing was made up. The virus wasn't made up. It is dangerous. Yes, we needed to do some things. But we did not need to shut down the economy. No way near the way we did. That was all manufactured to take Trump out. And what's happening now is what I predicted way back in October. What's happening now is they are slowly walking it back. They can't do it all at once. It would be obvious if they did it all at once, right? So they're just doing it three feet at a time. Make sense? All right, I got that off my chest. Great guest today. It's Congressman Andy Barr, and it's a very, 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 very important topic. I cannot I cannot emphasize how important it is that you listen to this topic. I don't care how you feel about Congressman Andy Barr. He is doing a very important thing with a piece of legislation that he's offering up because there is a very insidious and evil cloud moving upon the land right now. It's being driven by cancel culture and wokeness. And there is an effort afoot for the far left to work hand-in-hand and collude with the government and the media to try to shut down credit, cash, access to capital to companies with whom they disagree politically. This is a very un-American, frankly, I believe unconstitutional legal thing, but it's being done. And Congressman Barr is trying to raise awareness of it, and he's trying to stop it. So I want you to listen with radar ears to this episode with Congressman Andy Barr. But first, I want to uh, thank our sponsor, Louisville Cabinets and Countertops. Um, They're fantastic, and I can say that because I've actually been a customer of theirs for years. They did our kitchen and our master bath. I am confident that the work they did in our kitchen helped our house sell very quickly. In fact, in less than a day. Guys, I've worked with Tim Montgomery and his crew. I've seen their work ethic firsthand. They are phenomenal. And I love their designers, Michelle, Kelly, George. They're waiting for you to call or stop by 6200 Hit Lane and see the amazing things they can do with your kitchen. You know, interest rates are super low right now. Maybe you've got some equity in your home, but you want to stay there forever. You want your dream kitchen now? Now's a great time if you're going to do that to, to take advantage of those low interest rates. Get that home equity loan and build the kitchen of your dreams and have Louisville Cabinets and Countertops do it. Or maybe you're looking to sell or maybe you're looking to flip and sell and they can do they can help you with that too. Or you're a contractor or a do-it-yourselfer and they've got cabinets in stock right now. Beautiful, high-quality, uh, affordable cabinets in stock right now. Call them at 502-930-3304. Go to louisvillecabinetsandcountertops.com or 6200 hit lane. Call them at 502-930-3304. Even if you're not ready to do your kitchen yet, just tell them, guys, thank you for sponsoring my favorite podcast, The Disruption Zone. I'm not ready to do my kitchen yet, but when I am, I'm coming to you guys. We appreciate If you would do that for me, that's a huge help. I would love that. Please do that. Call them and tell them, hey, I listen to the podcast. I love you guys. Um, thank you for sponsoring my favorite podcast, 502-930-3304. That'd be a big help. Appreciate it very much. Okay, now to our conversation. Again, this topic is super-duper important. Uh, Congressman Andy Barr, we start off talking about a very important issue, and it's the resurrection of something that happened under the Obama administration called Operation Choke Point. Hey, Leland, how you doing? Congressman Barr, it's good to talk to you. How are you today? I'm doing okay. I'm doing okay. Thank you very much. Just uh, just flew in from um, the land of milk and honey, which is uh, the sixth congressional district, to the uh, what is worse than the swamp. I was so, going to say, what's it like being inside those high barbed wire fences they've now got around the Capitol? Because well, you know, it's it's crazy. 
Yeah, you, you know, the uh, politicians like Nancy Pelosi want a, a wall to protect herself, but she doesn't want a wall to protect the American people. Right. <laughs> Fancy that, right? And by the way, the, there is no threat to her. I mean, you know, the, 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 to the extent that there was a threat, uh, that is dissipated and gone. Right. Uh, and and but the but the threat on the border and the and the and the Biden border crisis is raging right now. Yeah, I was just reading a story um, that uh, that I think Kevin McCarthy, uh, the one of the leaders of the Republican Party, actually was down there in El Paso, and he was talking to some of the border agents, and they said, "Look, guys." We know for a fact that there are people who are terrorists who are trying to take advantage of this situation and get into the country. That's very uh, disconcerting. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. That's absolutely true. Yes. Well, I I wanted to bring you on for a couple things. Um, We want to talk a little bit about guns and the Democrats' gun grab in a little bit, but you have a new piece of legislation that you're trying to get through. Um. And the idea here is because, and let me give people a little background on this. Uh, under the Obama administration, there was a thing called Operation Choke Point. Basically, Obama took a look at businesses, decided which ones he felt were immoral, which included gun manufacturers and firearms dealers, uh, payday cash advance people, various different uh, businesses that the president considered seedy and immoral. And he asked banks that, you know, hey, if you guys know what's good for you, you'll help me out with this, to squeeze credit access for these various businesses. That was called Operation Choke Point. President Trump ended that when he took presidency. President Biden is now trying to uh, resurrect that, as are Democrats and as is cancel culture, even if not through law. We're seeing more and more of this where businesses, banks, are refusing to do business with certain businesses that the woke or cancel culture has decided isn't uh, a moral business or isn't a a business in good standing or whatever. And it's, it's frightening because it's almost like we're developing sort of a de facto um, social score like China has, right? Um, It could proliferate down to individuals right now. It's focusing on businesses, but very important businesses out there that may find themselves without credit and you're trying to stop that am i am i explaining this correct you're explaining it very well leland and cancel culture is alive and well in this country not just in social media not just in higher education uh, on campuses uh, but it's also alive and well in the world of finance and look uh, the biden administration knows that even with democrat majorities in both the house and the senate uh, they cannot pass uh, through the Congress, uh, the Green New Deal, uh, they can't uh, pass a very unpopular socialist uh, package. Uh, uh, so what they're trying to do is bypass Congress to implement uh, an extreme environmental agenda through the back door of financial regulation. And it's not just uh, environmental extremism. It's also any business or industry, as you said, that is politically unfashionable with the woke left. And it could be um, gun manufacturers, it could be money services businesses, like you said, but any business that uh, is unpopular with the far left is a target. And you mentioned Operation Choke Point. Uh, I was a member of the Financial Services Committee exercising oversight during the Obama administration. We saw uh, the power of federal financial regulators intimidate and harass lenders uh, to choke off financing to some of these 
these businesses that they don't like, that, that they, they believe are you know, politically incorrect. But I think what you're going to see in the Biden administration is Operation Choke Point on steroids. Hmm. Because um, if you look at what uh, all of these uh, uh, financial regulators are doing across the board, it's 10 times as dangerous uh, as what we saw during Operation Choke Point. For example, I mean, look at what uh, look at what uh, the Securities and Exchange Commission is is preparing to do right now. Uh, they they are they are proposing mandatory dis- disclosures of quote unquote climate risk in securities filings, and the Labor Department, the the Biden Labor Department, and the Securities and Exchange Commission are going to collaborate together get together to pressure asset managers and retirement plans and investment advisors to direct capital away from companies that do not meet their strict environmental social governance standards. So if you're a, if you're a company out there and you don't do what uh, the Biden administration says you should be doing in terms of diversity and, and inclusion or uh, tolerance for LGBTQ or uh, environmental uh, stewardship or political errands that have no, nothing to do with the core business of that particular corporation, uh, they are going to discriminate against you by, by directing asset managers and investment advisors uh, to direct capital away from those public companies. Uh, also, we're looking at the Fed. Uh, the Fed is not just um, the agent of monetary policy in the United States. They're the most significant and important financial regulator. And we're looking at, um, uh, as the ranking Republican on the Oversight Subcommittee, we're, we, are, we are scrutinizing um, some of the moves that the Federal Reserve has made to implement climate stress testing of banks. Uh, so what that means is they're going to be looking at um, whether or not a, uh, the, the portfolio of loans that a bank has would uh, not be sensitive to climate uh, climate risk. And, and then a new and more pernicious operation choke point through which bank regulators will harass and intimidate banks and other lenders who have the audacity to extend credit to politically unfashionable businesses like the fossil energy industry, like money services businesses, like firearm manufacturers, ammunition suppliers, and other law-abiding businesses that just happen to be in a politically incorrect uh, industry. Uh, This is cancel culture uh, at its worst, and it is a way in which the Biden administration is going to circumvent Congress uh, to implement a very radical and socialist agenda. And there won't be a peep about it from ABC News or CNN or MSNBC uh, because they're in on it. But uh, to break this down, you know, I, I could see, can you see this happening? Like, say, for example, you have Bob's um, Bob's Petro Company. And what Bob does is he supplies natural gas or propane and propane accessories, um, you know, to local businesses. But because he gets his natural gas from, you know, fracking, he now can't get a loan from the local bank because the local bank is being pressured by regulators not to loan money to businesses in the yeah. fossil fuel business. So now the town loses a supplier of of propane and propane accessories and Bob loses his business. Is 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 that kind of a breakdown of how this could actually play out in real life? I think it's even worse than that because not only uh, is uh, Bob's uh, business not able to access a loan or credit but under 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 this scenario, it is uh, highly possible uh, that Bob's bank, uh, a bank uh, with whom the Bob's company has had a longstanding relationship and a bank account, 
and has done business with them for years, gets a phone call, literally a phone call from the loan officer and says, you know, Bob, you've been a great customer. You've always paid your loans on time. You know, you, you, you park a lot of money, uh, you know, in your, in your bank account. You, we process all of your payroll through our bank. But, you know, we're just getting undue scrutiny from the bank examiner. And so we're going to have to, we're gonna have to close down your bank account. Jeez. So it's not only uh, access to credit and the politicization of the access to credit, but it's the fact that they'll actually be debanked. Wow. They'll be kicked out of their bank account. And so my point here, you know, on the Financial Services Committee with oversight over the Biden administration is that bank lending decisions should be based on objective, quantifiable factors. They should be based on sound underwriting and, bottom line, the creditworthiness of the borrower. They should not be based on politics. They should not be based upon the opinions of a few woke elitists in the editorial boardrooms or Ivy League faculty lounges or even on Wall Street they need to be based on objective, quantifiable criteria like creditworthiness. And one thing that the Trump administration did um, at the end of their term, which I thought was terrific, was the Office of the Comptroller of the Currency, which is the the main uh, regulator for national banks, finalized what they called the fair access rule. And that just basically required banks to provide equitable access to financial services based on risk-based metrics and, and, and said that banks cannot inject political or public relations considerations into their lending decisions. And they certainly should not be able to engage in total avoidance of an entire category of customers uh, just because that category is uh, politically incorrect with with the woke left. And so what we want to do is, uh, of course, when when the Biden administration came in, they suspended that rulemaking uh, and they said, well, we're not going to pursue that anymore. So what what our bill would do, and I've introduced the Fair Access in in Banking Act, and our bill would, would, would simply require banks to base their lending decisions on the creditworthiness of the borrowers uh, and would protect jobs in politically disfavored industry uh, and would just say you, you can't debank or divest from businesses just because they engage in uh, uh, legal uh, industries or legal businesses that happen to be politically incorrect, like fossil energy or uh, firearms manufacturing or, or a firearms dealer. So we want to codify the fair access rule and guarantee fair access to financial services for businesses, regardless of politics. So I hate to say this, but there's no way your bill passes. No, I appreciate that you've put them on the record, though, because no one knew. I, I had seen the story that that Biden overturned that right after taking office, which to me is a clear sign that they plan to discriminate. Why would you why would you as a as a Democrat who campaigns on equality? And equal opportunity for all, why would one of your first acts in office be to abolish a rule that guarantees equal access for all if you had if you had no plans to actually, you know, use discrimination as a tactic? And so now at least your bill is going to put the Democrats in the House on record as having voted against something that this honestly, Congressman Barr, this this is unfathomable to me that we're even having to deal with this, that you even have to think about this in the United States of America. That makes no sense. Right. And and you're right that uh, my bill, the Fair Access to Banking Act, um, will not pass this House because elections have consequences. And Nancy Pelosi would never even allow there to be a vote on the bill. But we 
we are going to bring it up and we're going to make make the Democrats resist it at every turn. And in my opinion, if the Democrats were being internally consistent, as, as you pointed out, and, and they were actually uh, intellectually honest, then what they've been advocating for years in banking law is non-discrimination. And there has been long, uh, in, in, in well-settled federal law, a long-standing prohibition on, on what's called redlining. And yeah. redlining is, uh, is saying that a bank cannot discriminate against a particular neighborhood because it's low income or a particular race of people. Right. Uh, uh, there should be non-discrimination in banking. Well, if, if that's the principle, then why on earth would we allow – uh, a minority-owned business, let's say an African American who owns a firearm dealer, right. uh, firearm business in in a in a part of town where people actually value personal protection and per- being able to protect their property, uh, why would we allow uh, a bank to discriminate, or why would we allow a regulator to 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 harass a bank to to uh, deprive that business of of, of credit? And, and that is discrimination against a minority-owned business. And I think that is totally inconsistent with well-settled federal law. Yeah, and, and by the way, just so people have a understanding, you, Louisville, Kentucky, is still dealing with the consequences of the horrible act of redlining. Um, the, the lines that were drawn and the way that that excluded people from being able to partake in the American dream, and that wasn't all that long ago. So the, the rules against... That kind of discrimination um, are, are needed, and it's important, and yet here we are now having to write new rules to keep an, another group or other groups of people or various different constituencies from being discriminated against. How is, how is this not what—how is Operation Choke Point and now its predecessor or its successor, rather, how are they not challengeable— in like the Supreme Court that you you have because you you if you can say look we we're actually not going to lend you money because you invest in fossil fuels or your your Bob's propane and propane accessories company in Nicholasville Kentucky and you don't have any solar panels on the roof of your building so we're not going to loan you any money how is that not challengeable in court I think it could be. I think it very well could be on, uh, on the grounds of equal protection as long as there is state action right. involved. Um, and I think in this case, there's clearly state action because you have uh, regulators involved. You have bank regulators involved. You have, in some cases, the Securities and Exchange Commission involved. And as I said before, it's not only o- Operation Choke Point. I think we're going to see this in with the Federal Reserve we're going to see this with the SEC. We're going to see this with the Department of Labor, and um, so this is just step one. I'm I'm going to introduce uh, the fair this Fair Access to Banking Act, but then beyond that, uh, I want to look at um, the rights of shareholders uh, to sue uh, directors and officers of companies that are harassed and intimidated into politicizing. Uh, the, 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 the shareholders' investments. Yeah. Because I think what's going to happen next is what's called this ESG movement, environmental social governance, or stakeholder capitalism, where uh, there's this unholy alliance between the Biden administration and, again, some woke people in Wall Street uh, who, who say that, well, you know, you know, a retail investor's investment in a fossil energy company should be scrutinized, or a retail investor's uh, uh, investment um, really shouldn't go to the core business of that uh, corporation. Instead, it should go into um, 
some kind of political cause. Right. And if you don't have enough, um, you know, commitment to uh, a climate agenda at the corporate level, um, then um, you know we're 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 we're, we're going to punish that that company. Yeah. The, the bottom line here is this is going to compromise investor returns, and I think it's outrageous that you would have a a middle income. Uh, person trying to save for college for their kids, trying to save for retirement, and a billionaire on Wall Street who says, well, you know what? Uh, I'm not interested in maximizing the shareholder return. I'm more interested in pursuing some unrelated political errand uh, in support of my friend uh, Mike Bloomberg or in support of you know gun control or in support of uh, climate change. Right. To, to, me, to me, that's outrageous. Uh, the, the, these Directors and officers of of public corporations have a fiduciary duty to their shareholders, and uh, their their duty should be uh, totally focused on maximizing shareholder value, maximizing investor returns, and we want to hold them accountable as well, not just uh, the Biden administration and the regulators. I know that Glenn Beck did a little piece, uh, did an expose on this. Um, How did you discover that this was actually happening, that this was actually that the machinations for this plan were actually taking place, that it's not just uh, a conspiracy theory or that it's not just an amalgamation of opinions about uh, various things. But how did you discover that it's actually taking place and it needs legislation to stop it? Well, we've seen this trend grow uh, over the years. Uh, Again, as we see kind of these uh, uh, woke uh, Wall Street types who, you know, feel guilty uh, for whatever reason about being a capitalist. Uh, and so now they think that they need to divert resources into liberal social causes. Uh, and we've observed in, in Frank, uh, frankly, in, in horror, as we see um, retail investors, middle income savers, people trying to save for retirement, uh, have their savings invested in political causes with which they may totally disagree. Right. Um, that's not the job of a corporation. And I think I think the breaking point for me, and you asked how I discovered this, I think the breaking point for me was um, last year when the Business Roundtable, which is the nation's largest organization uh, of corporate CEOs, redefined a corporate purpose. Hmm. And they said that the, the job of a corporation is no longer to maximize shareholder value, but instead it's to prioritize um, stakeholders ahead of shareholders. In other words, stakeholders meaning uh, they could be uh, they could be suppliers, they could be employees, uh, they could be members of the community. Uh, in other words, liberal activist groups, right. and that that they have a a duty to the stakeholders ahead of the actual owners of the corporation. That to me is a very disturbing. A position for the nation's business leaders to take. And I think there's no question why they did it. I don't think they really believe in it. I think they did it because they felt immense public uh, relations pressure. They felt uh, immense political pressure from people like Elizabeth Warren. And they attempted to placate liberals as they saw Biden coming into power. And now you have people like Brian Deese, who is the former chief, quote-unquote, chief sustainability officer at BlackRock, one of the world's largest asset managers. Larry Fink, the CEO of BlackRock, is one of the uh, the most liberal uh, participants on Wall Street, left-wing uh, Wall Street, uh, uh, you know, woke capitalists, if you will. And they've taken a position that uh, that none of the investors in BlackRock 
will be allowed to invest in any fossil energy. Right. Well, that deprives those investors of an opportunity for a a risk-weighted return in a in a company that provides affordable, reliable energy to the American people. And people can allocate capital however they want. If they want if if they have a personal interest in sustainable investing and they want to invest in companies that have ESG investing, that's their business. But when an asset manager or when a director or officer of a corporation takes someone else's money and someone else's uh, uh, investment, and they allocate capital away from fossil energy or gun manufacturers or uh, money services businesses or other politically incorrect businesses, and that undermines the ability of that investor to make a return and instead puts it into some political uh, errand. I think that is wrong. I think that's a breach of a fiduciary duty. And I think we need to empower retail investors to strike back uh, for misallocating their resources. I think you're right that it, 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 it doesn't line up with the fiduciary duty. I think the, the potential argument on the other side would be, well, uh, you don't like BlackRock, go invest with somebody else. The problem is once the state gets involved and starts helping out this sort of mentality, then there is there, there becomes no one else to actually go to because now, you know, once all of them are infected, they're all infected with it. And I was thinking back to your point about stakeholders, and it's a really nice way to say socialism, right? I mean, stakeholder capitalism is just redefining and, and a lot of this started, I think, with the focus in economics in academia these days where economics is taught on externalities, right? Like externalities are real things. You know, it's the ripple effect, if you will, of various businesses interacting with each other throughout the markets. But the thing about externalities that liberals seized on was they can take one and they can go 15 ripples away and make that person a, a stakeholder. In other words, we can establish through a weird, stretchy, pretzel, salad language of wording and 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 hypothetical stretches that just about anybody is a stakeholder in just about anything. Therefore, we can you know sort of congregate our 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 grievances on this one side of the aisle, and then make accusations against the other side of the aisle that everything they're doing is somehow disturbing these stakeholders over here. I mean, that to me is what's so terrifying about this because it's kind of hard to put your finger on it, even though you've discovered that it's actually happening within the government, but it's still kind of hard to chase down, right? Like a regulator calls up a small business, they're scared crapless. They may not have the money to fight it. Look at what happened in Lexington where fortunately a, a business like Brewed Coffee uh, and now Beans up in northern Kentucky have the means and the will to actually fight against what the governor did in, in trying to shut them down arbitrarily. But not every business has the ability to actually fight this, nor do they necessarily want to, because if they do fight it, if they stick their head up and fight it, they've now polarized their potential customer base even further. So this, this is these are very dangerous waters, Congressman. Very much. And it is it is exactly you're exactly right that this is a way to implement socialism through the back door of financial regulation as opposed to the more overt uh, effort through the Congress. And uh, to the point of, to your point, that um, there's there's collusion between the state and uh, the private sector, Uh, again, you have liberals in the private sector, like a guy like Brian Deese, who is at BlackRock. He's their chief sustainability officer. He's in charge of taking other people's money 
and investing it away from politically incorrect businesses and into only those businesses that they deem to be politically correct um, and their asset allocation, very much politicizing the allocation of, of, of capital. And then he then goes and, and becomes um, uh, President Biden's top economic advisor. Now, that is an unholy alliance between Wall Street and the big government socialist liberals in Washington, D.C. And the collusion between the two, very two very powerful institutions uh, in, uh, in our country, Washington bureaucrats and Wall Street, colluding against Main Street, colluding against free markets, colluding against individual investors and individual small business owners who are simply – uh, engaged in a legal business and should have access to capital. This is very dangerous, and it is a it is a backdoor way to socialism, and it needs to be stopped. We need to shine the light on it. That's what I'm trying to do. Right. Well, gosh, I'm so glad somebody is because it's terrifying. And again, I watched the Glenn Beck special on this, and you know, like him or not, um, the guy had he had the facts down, and I think he may have. I don't know, but the the things that he was projecting could they happen? Yeah, they could. We're on a slippery slope. There could come a time where individuals won't be able to get a bank loan for homes or cars or anything else because they're buying the wrong type of car or they're buying the wrong house in the wrong location or they're uh, or or they simply aren't living the lifestyle that they that they're being told to live and therefore they're not worthy of credit. Uh, these are again very dangerous waters. There was a couple other topics I wanted to talk about to you about. I know you probably have to go pretty soon, but um, uh, th- there is a gun grab going on in D.C. and and right now I'm I'm feeling there's a lot of red herring going on. You know, HB one one twenty seven is the bill that's being put forth by Sheila Jackson Lee out of Houston, Texas. This would actually establish a um, an actual uh, licensing of registration and firearms. You would not be able to purchase certain ammunition you'd have to get a background check before you bought ammunition uh the the fbi the uh alcohol bureau of alcohol and tobacco and firearms would actually uh, have to create a registry for firearms and the department of justice would have to establish and maintain a publicly available database of registered firearms meaning people could look up what guns i have well at least the ones that i i haven't lost in an unfortunate boating accident um this is not going to pass. It's a red herring. It's 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 hey, look over here at this egregious bill. Meanwhile, the Democrats did pass two bills that increase uh, certain areas of background checks. They they're, they're working on a couple of others. They're working on limiting uh, magazine capacity. They're working on banning assault weapons, so-called assault weapons. What can be done to stop the uh, coming inevitable gun grab? Well, you're you're right with respect to uh, Congresswoman. Uh, uh, Sheila, Sheila Jackson, Jackson Lee's, Lee. yeah, her, her her bill that would establish a national gun registry uh, that that is uh, obviously very unpopular in this country and is so inconsistent with the Second Amendment. But uh, but HR eight uh, and HR fourteen forty six, which the House uh, did pass uh, with overwhelming Democrat support, th- those bills um, really are. Um, background check bills in name only. They're really what they really are, are predicates for a national gun registry. They can't pass the national gun registry. So what they want to do is pass these bills, neither of which would have prevented any, any of the tragic um, uh, mass shootings that we have seen over the past uh, 20 years. Um, But what they would do is they would uh, 
prohibit the transfer of firearms uh, across a wide range of circumstances involving private transfers. For example, transferring a firearm to anyone um, prohibited from possessing a firearm, transferring a handgun across state lines to someone without a firearms license, providing a handgun to a juvenile dealer, selling rifles or shotguns to individuals under the age of, of 18. Those are all laws on the books there that, are, yeah. that already those are already those are already illegal it's right. already illegal to do that right but but in but in but this these bills would uh would would prevent um a private person from uh allow, you know giving it to his neighbor who's maybe uh being um you know, uh, pursued by a uh, a uh, domestic violence offender, right. or 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 a relative who wants to go hunting. Right. And um, in order to implement the provisions of the, these background check bills, you, you would you would absolutely have to create a national gun registry, and it would it would do nothing to prevent mass shootings, but it would uh, it would infringe on Second Amendment rights of law-abiding citizens. Right. And as you said, those types of transfers. If I if I'm going to give a gun to a friend. And I know that friend's a felon. I just committed a federal crime, so so it's it's already illegal, you know, for me to do that. Um, right. And and but they would love for me to not be able to give my wife a gun, uh, because then they could use that. You know, well, you got to go get her a background, all this kind of stuff. Even though she is a concealed carry permit holder who gets a background check monthly because she's a concealed carry holder, right? Then. They, they, that's how they create the infrastructure to actually create the gun database, is that, uh, th- th- which is the whole bo- point behind universal background checks. Which universal background checks sound great on, per- like on the surface, until you realize that grandpa can't leave his guns after he passes away to his grandsons as you know an inheritance. Yeah, and and you know, look, background checks are great, but only they're only as good as the as the background system, the background right. check system, and the data within the background check system. And you know, if if Democrats really wanted to enhance the background check system, then they would support legislation that I support that would actually uh, uh, and that would have prevented the Charleston shooting, by the way. That would uh, that would enhance the NIC system, the National Instant Criminal Background Check system, by by allowing examiners to access another uh, database called the NDX system. Um, why aren't we talking about that? Why aren't we Why aren't we for uh, populating the background check system with more data on right. who the people are? Right. The the background check is only as good as the the the, the information in the database itself. Uh, but no, what they want is to create a predicate for a national gun registry so that Big Brother can look at every uh, act activity that you're engaged in as a as a uh, law-abiding Second Amendment uh, uh, firearm owner. Right. Yeah, it's terrifying. Um, hopefully we can uh, put a stop to that. Uh, I don't know. There's talk about the filibuster getting thrown overboard now because the Democrats want to uh, secure their power forever by changing the way we vote. But... Um, do you think that's going to happen, or what are you hearing on Capitol Hill? Well, you know, Senators Manchin and Cinema have indicated, Democrats have indicated that they would not support changes to the filibuster. And uh, we hope that they stick by their commitment, uh, because, the, the, look, the, the filibuster is uh, you know, an important tool to protect minority rights in the Senate, uh, but it also requires consensus building. 
And um, look, if we if we did away with the filibuster, then the Senate becomes nothing different than the House. Right. And um, a, a a simple majority could change the law every two years, every four yeah. years, depending yeah. on which majority. And there's no there's no durability in a in a democracy without a filibuster in the Senate. Yeah, yeah. That's it's a it, it, it. I've even heard. Even Dick Durbin, um, back when President Trump was urging you guys on the Republican side to get rid of the filibuster, I said at the time that'd be a terrible idea. It was one of the worst ideas Trump had when he was president. Um, it, it, the the even Dick Durbin went on, uh, I think it was Meet the Press or somebody, and he was like, "This would destroy everything America was meant to be from our founding fathers." Right, <laughs> right. You know, it's like you can go back and play their own words against them. Everybody knows that as as hard as it as it is to understand that you don't get your full agenda. You know, when you have if you if you want your full dream agenda, then elect 80 senators of one party. Right. You know what I mean? That's how you get your full agenda. Then you can't stop it. Then you know that the overwhelming overwhelming will of the American people is to go that direction. But when you're looking at a Senate that's 50 50 to try to claim that the rest of the country wants the full bore liberal agenda is completely impossible. It's it's totally wrong and false. And the same thing in the House. You guys are only like 10 seats away from from a majority in this in the house right now this is a very very probably closely about six yeah, yeah probably that's probably after special elections probably only six but but here, here's the point i mean it, it's bad enough what is happening through unilateral executive actions by the by president biden right. whether it's on the border or whether it's in in cancel culture and banking and the administrate and the growth of the administrative state but the damage that they are doing in terms of growing the national debt in terms of uh, Changing policies through reconciliation, where they only need a simple majority in in the Senate, uh, including what we expect to see is a massive tax increase on the American people that's 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 coming yeah. around the the bend. If yeah. if they were able to do away with the filibuster, you're talking about the Green New Deal, uh, socialized healthcare and Medicare for all. You're talking about uh, codifying open borders policy, where we ha- we literally lose our sovereignty as a country. And then uh, you're talking about packing the Supreme Court statehood for, for the District of Columbia and Puerto Rico uh, in order to create a permanent supermajority for Democrats in the U.S. Senate and fundamentally remake uh, the United States into a socialist country. Yeah. That's the danger of doing away with the filibuster. And that's not hyperbole. That's the stated agenda of uh, uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, of Bernie Sanders, of Nancy Pelosi. This is what they want to accomplish. Yeah, no doubt. It's terrifying. Hey, listen, hopefully uh, we can bring a stop to that come next election in just uh, less than two years now. Congressman, I know you got to run. Thanks so much for your time today. We appreciate what you're doing on the issue of financial equality and making sure that everybody has access to credit to build their own dreams. We appreciate it. Hey, thanks a lot. All right, appreciate have a good it. One. All right, Congressman Andy Barr, enjoy talking to him. That 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 whole topic... I cannot tell you how important this is. I, I cannot I cannot emphasize how important it is what Congressman Andy Barr is doing in this situation with regards to this this insidious effort by the cancel culture to infect government and then use partisan politics to cancel dissent and to do it by crushing people's financial ability to live their lives the way they see fit. This is the most un-American thing that has happened in the United States, probably since the Alien and Seditions Act with the first couple of presidents after Washington. I think it was John Adams 
that got the uh, Alien and Seditions Act passed. And it was basically, if you criticize the government, they could throw you in jail. It was the most un-American. We're, we're, we're the second president of the United States. We're already throwing everything in principle overboard at that point. And, of course, saner heads prevailed. But this is the worst type of most un-American thing you can think of since then. The idea that one particular political party's ideology could control the other ideology or the other sort of mainstream ideology or anyone for that matter that they disagree with their access to financial resources that is that I, there's no other way to encapsulate that other than to say that it is absolutely pure unadulterated evil that's what it is and it must be stopped so remember elections do have consequences in a couple of years i hate the two-party system you guys know this you that you guys that know me have known this. We were talking about one of the things that uh, Andy Barr said that I thought was interesting was that coalition building, right? The filibuster requires coalition building. So does having multiple parties. Right now, we're stuck with two. And of the two, both are bad, but the Republicans are at least a little bit better and tend to err more on the side of freedom. And they're not coming after my ability to live my life as I see fit when it comes to financial stuff. I have my beef with Republicans. But that being said, we have to choose, at least for the time being, between these two, we must choose somebody who is going to protect freedom. Now, my preference would be that we could have kind of a libertarian party surge and take maybe 20 or 30 percent of Congress. Then you'd be forced to caucus, right? So the, so the Democrats could get a little bit of what they want on some of the social liberal agenda by, by caucusing with the libertarians, and the Republicans could get what they want on the economy and taxes by caucusing with the libertarians. That, that would be the perfect situation, right? But we're a long way from that. So for the time being, we have to remember in two years that elections have consequences. And if you want to keep your guns and your money, there's really only one choice, unfortunately. And that's I tried to explain this to my liberal friends who were like, how could you possibly like Trump? I don't say I like him. I said I voted for him because I wasn't going to vote for what we got right now. And people say, well, you're a racist or you're a white supremacist if you vote for Trump. That's bull crap, and everybody knows that's bull crap. We only have two choices. And the choice that I made was the guy who prior to the, the pandemic fake crisis, no, the pandemic was not fake, the crisis manufactured by liberal governors and mayors across the country, prior to that fake crisis, the economy was freaking rocking for everybody. Minorities, everyone, everyone was doing better under that economy. Did President Trump do everything right? No, he could have done better economically. He could have made better decisions. Absolutely. There were things I disagreed with him, but everybody was doing better. And now, good luck. Gas will be $4 a gallon by 2022 or before. So, all right, that's my soapbox. I love you guys. Thanks for listening to my podcast. Thousands of you every week. I love it. It's so awesome. We will not be silenced, right? I got some big things in the works, too. I can't wait to tell you, but I can't talk about it right now. So you'll just have to wait. Big thank you to our sponsor, Louisville Cabinets and Countertops. They're so great. Uh, I can say that because I actually have worked with them. I've been a customer of theirs for years. So I can actually say they're so great because I know from firsthand experience that they're so great. If you're looking to redo your kitchen uh, in your dream fashion, and now's the time, really, um, even if you, you know, it's actually a pretty good time to take a home equity loan out and then do the kitchen of your dreams, right? With the the interest rates as low as they are right now. 
So let their designers, George, Kelly, Michelle, they love you. They want to see you. Uh, stop by their showroom at 6200 uh, Hit Lane. Let them design your dream kitchen and handle putting it all together for you. Or if you're a do-it-yourselfer or a uh, contractor, they have beautiful, high-quality, very affordable cabinets already in stock that you can pick up. Just go to their website, Louisville Cabinets and Countertops, and you will see the cabinets that they have in stock and some examples of their work. Or call them at 502-930-3304. If you're not ready to do your kitchen yet, just call them and say, hey, thank you for sponsoring my favorite podcast, The Disruption Zone. Thanks to uh, JP Web Design uh, for their help with the website, as well as Dynamics Audio Productions in Lexington, Kentucky. They're fantastic. Thanks to my uh, good-for-nothing, lazy-butt co-host and co-executive producer, Cameron Mills, who will be back on with us in the next week or so. And thanks to you, the listener. Uh, you can download us for free. Sign up, sign up for the podcast for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and iHeartRadio app. Please, on those apps, go and give us a five-star review. That causes them to push it out to more and more people, so they try it, hear it. And uh, it grows our audience weekly, so I appreciate when you do that. So please give us a good review. And uh, by the way, uh, you can comment in the comment sections on our website at www.thedisruptionzone.com. We accept those comments. You can absolutely comment if you have something you disagree with, something you agree with. Go for it. It's a forum. Let it happen. And thank you again for listening. I'm Leland Conway. You can find me on Twitter, at Leland Show, at Zone Disruption. And on Instagram, it's at Greatly Londo and at The Disruption Zone. Thank you guys for listening to The Disruption Zone.